Welcome to the Pit Box Podcast. My name is John Satori, and we're here to chat Formula One. Reviewing races, previewing others, taking a look at any news and dramas that are front and centre of the sport. You're going to hear opinions as well, mine. Uh, Some you're not going to agree with, obviously, but that's okay. Everybody's got their own, and we don't have to agree on everything. That's what makes the world more interesting, after all. This episode, a review of Round 7 in Belgium, preview the Italian Grand Prix. Also, some new races on the calendar have been announced. Uh, The season has now expanded to a healthy 17 races. Uh, Portimao, Nürburgring is back, and also Imola. That makes its return first time since 2006. In fact, I think I was at that race, and I was also at the last Turkey race as well in 2011. That's been added to the calendar, plus a Monza-spec Bahrain layout at the end of the year as a part of a triple-header finale. Also going to look at the situation with Racing Point, how three drivers will fit into two Aston Martin seats next year. Or do we have three drivers? Is the Vettel on the way in? Is Perez on the way out? Has Stroll done enough to convince? We're going to take a look at that as well. And again, for those who are new to the podcast and who don't know me or where I've come from, I've been involved with F1 since 2001. I started with Williams in that year um, and have worked for teams like McLaren, BMW, Sauber, as they were, uh, Renault and a few others, producing live shows essentially for VIP guests in Paddock Club, which I still currently do or would be doing if it wasn't for COVID, which entailed bespoke commentary of every session as well as my F1 Explain segments on stage, which delve a little bit more into the sport. So uh, 19 years involvement in the sport, well over 250 Grand Prix attended, and I'm currently involved in a live streaming project uh, prior to a race day that's been running since race one of this year to replace what we do in Paddock Club, which has been a lot of fun. Um, a little bit of background anyway there on me for context. So let's take a look. Monza, the Temple of Speed is the next round. But before we get into that, let's take a look at round seven in Spa-Francorchamps. Yeah, it was a bit of a snooze fest, unfortunately, wasn't it? Which is very unlike Spa. It normally provides something special due to its unpredictability. I mean, weather or tyre deg because it's a a seven... Uh, a kilometre long circuit and you know the stress there on the tyres is normally pretty big so really I can't believe that we had the the, the race that we did uh, you know an early safety car certainly didn't help that um, what lap 11 12 something like that um, and drivers at that point obviously just bolted on the hards and they could then run to the flag so I suppose that unfortunate timing of the safety car didn't help uh, with the spectacle and of course, uh, they did go a step softer with the tyres, didn't they? Last year, I think we had uh, slightly harder compounds, and this year we went the C2, C3, and C4, which are the middle range compounds. But I sort of thought by doing that, by going softer, that we would probably be looking at a two stop race. This is coming into the weekend. Um, and then the data that I saw, particularly on Sunday morning, showed that actually the three fastest uh, pit stop strategies were going to be one stoppers. Um, you could start on the, the, the red soft and go across to the medium, or you could start on the medium and go across to the soft and just do that reverse, and it was going to be pretty much the same. Or you could go on to the hard once you'd got that uh, soft or medium off. But either way, all of those were very viable and were faster than doing a two-stopper. So it does make you wonder whether or not they should go, Pirelli I'm talking about, go one step softer again for next year. And, of course, you get then into the realms of, okay, is that going to be safe enough? Uh, which is always an issue. You look at what happened at the British Grand Prix, you have tyres exploding, you don't want that. 
And we certainly don't want what we had happen in 2013 again at the British Grand Prix. Although I think it did happen here as well too, didn't it? Sorry, I shouldn't say here at, uh, at Belgium um, a few years ago where we had some uh, some tyres uh, coming apart as well. So don't want that. But what you've got to remember with this, and everybody, and, and including drivers, say, oh, you know, Pirelli have got to do this, Pirelli have got to do that. You don't have to stay out on that set of tyres. Don't forget that. They can come in and they can do another pit stop. Okay, it's not going to be as quick as doing a one-stopper. But if you're talking about safety, it's also team's responsibility and drivers taking you know responsibility for their own actions and saying, no, I, I, I get the feeling this tyre is about to go. I, I think we need to change it and come in. So Pirelli aren't making drivers stay out there on unsafe tyres. They're not the ones who make that decision. But anyway, uh, it'll be interesting to see whether or not next year they decide to go a step softer because if you're not doing a two-stopper, um, and if, if Spa isn't exciting because you've got one, okay, as I said before, didn't wasn't helped because we've got a safety car, but um, uh, but because the tyres are, are being durable, and we all know that they all pretty much um, manage their tyres. Lando Norris managed his tyres very well. Hamilton had to manage his tyres. And that's not unusual at the moment in Formula One, but you don't want that. The drivers don't like to do that. But if that's the case, then rather than giving them that option of having just a one-stopper being the quickest make them softer and then they've got to bring the two-stopper in anyway uh that's as i say um a, a discussion maybe for another day but that was why um we really had a snooze fest because the uh the hards could then just be bolted on once that safety car went back in and everybody ran to the flag i mean the, the statistic that's critical here is how many overtakes we had this year 28 last year 58 so 50% reduction in overtaking, um, and that says it all, really. And, of course, um, Bottas and Hamilton once again were dominant. I should say Hamilton and Bottas, of course. Uh, Lewis is the man, the man who won the race. Um, but are they really racing each other is what uh, I've written down here. Now, if you listen to the race in the radio conversation between Bottas and his pit wall, he did at one point say, can I use the one, I think he said the one push scenario, uh, which is obviously some sort of boost or some sort of engine mode change that uh, that they can employ. Um, and he was asked, or he was told rather, no, no, you're not allowed to do that against Lewis or against your teammate. That's only to defend against someone else. Now, I don't, I was hoping that Bottas would go ahead and do it anyway. And I'll get to that in a second. But that's the reason I'm asking the question, are they really racing each other? Because if you're, you know, Mercedes are, what, on for a seventh world championship constructors-wise. Lewis is on for a seventh. uh, Sorry, it's an eighth, in fact. Lewis is on for his seventh. And Lewis is 50 points ahead in the Drivers' Championship. Mercedes are running away with the Constructors' Championship. There's not a lot of um, worry there. Okay, yep, they'd look silly if at the end of the season... Um, they didn't win either the drivers or the constructors. But that's a bit of a long shot. That's quite a long shot. And considering what they've been able to achieve and how long they've been dominant, shouldn't they? can't they give something back to the sport a little bit like that and say, OK, look, we're running first and second. Um, yeah, let's let Bottas do that. Let's, let's let him give it a shot. And if he ends up not when you know uh, losing out to Max, then that's his decision. But the fact that they said no, no, you're not to do that, and that's the the agreement that we've had. I don't don't like that. But um, as I say, that's that's why I don't think that they're really letting them race each other. I was hoping, as I said earlier, I was hoping Bottas was going to do it anyway. I mean, what's he got to lose? He's got a contract for next year. Um, and the question is, would Max have used it anyway? Rosberg, Ricardo, 
Perez Vettel. They would have just gone, yeah, sorry, I'm doing it. Um, but Bottas is a different character, more compliant. Perfect number two. You know, the thing is that with Lewis, and I was chatting to someone prior to our, our streaming show the other day uh, on Sunday morning about taking on Lewis. And, and the only way you take on Lewis, I think anyway, my opinion and this person's opinion as well, is that you have to not be his friend. You've got to do what Rosberg did and get in under, get in under his skin. Don't be friendly with him. Um, if you sort of stay too close and too friendly with him, he just hammers you. So I think the only way Bottas, and this is where I don't know if Bottas, it'll, it'll ever happen for him. But then again, before Rosberg won his championship, would you have thought he could have done that because he's such a lovely guy? But he changed his attitude in 2016. And it's not like he treated Lewis like the enemy, but he treated him as if he was driving for another team. And that's, I think, what Bottas has got to do, or anybody who takes on Lewis Hamilton, particularly if you're in the same team as him. Just my opinion. But you've got to change your mental attitude towards Lewis. And otherwise, you are on a hiding to nothing. And that's been proven over and over again. And as I say, Rosberg proved that to beat Lewis, you've got to do something different with your attitude towards him. And look, it's like a game of rugby. You belt the hell out of each other for 80 minutes on the rugby field, and afterwards you sit down and have a beer. You can still do that at the end of the race, at the end of the season, and say, look, there we go. That was it. Great game. Great season. But, you know, on the season, on the track, at the circuit, when you arrive there on Thursday from that point onwards, it's business. Get down to it. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, my little take there on um, <laughs> how to beat Lewis Hamilton. It's that easy, I'm sure. Um, anyway, the other interesting thing to come out uh, of um, of the weekend was also Lewis Hamilton talking about Red Bull and Max Verstappen and how he felt for Max Verstappen. Now, we mentioned this last week, and um, if there's certain people listening who I think maybe I've had various conversations over the last three or four years about this, about needing a teammate to help you on your strategy, and that's what Lewis has had. That's what Mercedes have had. They've always had that opportunity of having two people in the fight at the moment not only have Mercedes only got one team to battle against, they've got half a team because it's only Max Verstappen. There's no Alexander Albon at the moment to offer any assistance. And now that Ferrari are, wow, not even in the game, you know, we're going to talk about Ferrari later. But there's no challenge at the moment from another team. And that is a big problem. And that's what Lewis was alluding to. And again, I think we mentioned this in the last podcast that what Mercedes do so well is they use their second driver. And I don't just mean it's always Bottas. It's whoever is in second position and whoever hasn't won the qualifying battle the day before. That person is most likely to get the B strategy or to be used to to effectively help the, the lead driver. Whether they are leading in the race, that doesn't matter. But whoever's won quality the next day, that's the regulation. That's the rules of the way they run it in, in Mercedes. That second driver is used to, to sort of run interference, if you like, by trying to undercut whoever is a threat. And that's what Red Bull don't have. So Max really needs another Red Bull in that battle. And at the moment, that's not Alexander Albon. He was half a second off the pace in qualifying. And we'll talk about what happened uh, with qualifying in the race um, a little bit later. But um, Albon, half a second off the pace of Max Verstappen. That's still a big gap, isn't it? But anyway, that's um, that, That's what Lewis was referring to there. And the other interesting thing coming out of Mercedes uh, from Valtteri Bottas was that he was saying that there wasn't uh, the toe 
down the Kemmel Strait wasn't too much, and particularly because there was a tailwind into Turn 5. So a tailwind on an F1 car unloads the rear wing, and of course that means you've got less downforce at the back, which is when you want it, particularly in the... In the uh, in the braking zone, and he said that the toe, which he was, you know, hoping to relying on getting and hopefully getting past Lewis down the Camel Strait in the first couple of laps um, of the race, when he was close enough without the DRS, that wasn't as effective, and that um, that sort of didn't help his campaign. Um, but uh, yeah, not using I think that push button or that extra engine mode, I think hasn't helped either. Now uh, we touched on it, Ferrari. Where to now? Wow, I, I, you know, lucky there are no fans in Monza this weekend. It would turn into that Spanish tomato throwing festival, La Tomatina. Seriously, they are in so much strife, aren't they? It, I, it, you just can't believe how Spa has accentuated the power problem with that Ferrari engine. There wasn't, um, I'm trying to think of what the stat I had written down as far as, I think four out of the five slowest cars on on Saturday's qualifying were all Ferrari engined. Um, They've obviously had this design philosophy from last year's car. It's carried over into this year's car that they can have a draggy car and then rely on the power of that engine to get them through the high speed circuits. And they've obviously added a bit more downforce maybe compared to last year's car, thinking they were going to have that again, uh, as far as I'm talking about the powerful engine. But of course, whatever happened between the seasons, between the Ferrari and the FIA, Ferrari don't have the same engine, or whatever it is, um, and they cannot get that pace out of the car in a straight line. And remembering, this weekend is another high speed. I mean, it's the temple of speed. It's Monza. It's a high speed, low downforce circuit. Ouch. It is going to be brutal, I think, for Ferrari. As I say, lucky there are no fans. It's, if they could have picked any year to be bad at Monza, the one thing they've done right this year is be bad and and, and have Monza with no crowds in it. Anyway, um, and of course, the whole thing with that, and I've, I've heard a bit about again, a few theories as to what it was, but now the FIA have two sensors that uh, monitor the fuel flow. Remember, there's only X amount of fuel that you're, I think it's 100 kilos an hour that you're allowed to have um, accessible to the engine. And there's now two fuel flow, fuel flow sensors in each car. One is a FIA one, one is a team one. And I think the teams used to ha- share that information with the FIA on the sensor that they had in the car, but now the FIA have their own. Anyway, make of that of what you will. That's a theory. I'm not saying that's exactly what's happened or that's definitely what's happened, but that's what I've heard and read somewhere. Anyway, uh, they're in deep trouble. Uh, we'll talk about how they went in the race or didn't go <laughs> in, in the race in just a second. Um, Talking of unlucky, uh, although I wasn't, but Carlos signed second year in a row at Spa where he hasn't started the race. Um, and he was... Um, did you see that sh- that shot of him? And I think uh, Crofty on the Sky footage actually mentioned it, uh, where you just saw his head bow when he was uh, standing next to his race engineer, uh, Tom Stellard, and uh, his performance engineer, Adrian, and uh, the look of despair on his face. And um, he was no doubt watching. I think at that point, they just switched away from some Ferrari footage. He's just thinking, what have I got myself in for? But look, you, you, Ferrari come knocking, you answer the door. 
you don't turn that around. Sorry, you don't turn that away. And I think, you know, that's only 20. I mean, the downside is that he knows that, you know, this year's car is going to be pretty much next year's car because the regulations for next year have been postponed. The regulation change, rather, for next year has been postponed to 2022. But And he'll still be there in 2022. So things can turn around. But when he thinks about, I suppose, what's coming down on his shoulders at the moment is how much bad luck he's had so far this year. And then he looks at the team he's about to head across to and think that is just going to be a tough old year ahead of me. But anyway, um, he's a lovely guy. He deserves better. And I uh, hope that uh, he has a better uh, Monza this weekend as well. Because remember, he had a problem with the wheel not being put on last year properly um, and uh, ended up retiring from the Italian Grand Prix as well. Uh, Russell, wrong place, wrong time for him, wasn't it? It must have been pretty disconcerting having that wheel bouncing towards him. He made a reference to the halo and uh, he felt much safer having that um, protecting him. And absolutely, it wasn't uh, wasn't pleasant. Giovinazzi just got on the power a bit too much and uh, lost the rear of it. Real tank slapper, really, wasn't it? Uh, but uh, And it, it, for a while there, it was a bit of a concern that it was a, a serious, serious accident because they kept the wide angle on those um, on those images of um, of Giovinazzi's uh, uh, Alpha, but in the end we saw him climb out of it, and that was an absolute relief when you look at what happened last year. And of course, just the final note on that: it was so fantastic of F1, of all the drivers, of all the teams, and uh, that tribute to Antoine Hubert. Absolutely, you know, fantastic, and um, it it just it makes me sad when I think about what happened to that young guy. Um, but, you know, it's it's motorsport, but it was fantastic that they did such a tribute to that guy. And Gasly even um, dedicated his race, and I think Gasly was the star of the race, really, uh, to uh, to his friend. That was a lovely touch. So, uh, anyway, let's run through the result. Hamilton first, uh, Bottas was second. Half a second difference in qualifying as well. Six hundredths of a second was uh, the difference between Hamilton and Bottas the weekend before, not this time around. Bottas... Uh, don't know what he's going to do. He, he needs to beat Hamilton in, in quality if he's going to have any chance of beating him in the race. Verstappen, best hope of uh, upsetting the Mercedes, and that, of course, didn't happen. He finished up third. He said it was a bit of a boring race for him. Daniel Ricciardo, best weekend for him for a while. Fourth to fourth. Pretty happy. I think they'll be pacey again this weekend, too. They were fast here. In, I think he got fourth or fifth. He was certainly in the top five or six uh, last year at Monza. I'd have to check, but anyway... It was a good race last year in Monza for uh, for Daniel Ricciardo. So Danny Rick, I think, um, uh, will be pretty happy. He'll be smiling, no doubt, as he always does. Fourth ahead of his teammate uh, Esteban Ocon. Solid race for him. I think it was his best this year. Still being uh, outdone by um, Ricciardo. Of course, he's not long back into the sport, as he? he had a year off yesterday, last year. Tenth uh, versus eighth in the Drivers' Championship. But he's been out-qualified pretty much every time by Daniel Ricciardo. And... Uh, He's um, obviously just getting back into the swing of things. Esteban, uh, sorry, um, Esteban, Alexander Albon, half a second off his teammate Max Verstappen in quali on Saturday. Never had the pace to take on Ricardo, um, and passed by Ocon as well at the end. And boy, he, he could have easily have been passed by Norris had there been a couple of more laps in the race too. Whatever, you know, the, the problem, and I think, again, I might have touched on this before, I can never remember who I had the conversation with, but Albon... If Red Bull have now sort of found a good setup direction and a development direction on the back of what Max Verstappen does, if that's what they're carrying over to his car and it's not suiting him, and that could be a reason, he's not going to get much better until he changes something with his driving style to, to Max match what Max does. Because uh, sixth is not good enough when Verstappen is third. And that's the best result Albon's had 
versus his teammate, isn't it? And he was still half a second off in quali. And he's a lovely guy, Albon. Um, he deserves to be in F1. He's just whatever it is with that car, it doesn't suit him. And he can't get the best out of it. Uh, Norris finished up seventh for McLaren. Bad start again. Uh, the last three races, I think, haven't been fantastic starts. And certainly Hungary wasn't great in the rain for him, uh, or in the in the wet anyway. Uh, managed his tyres very well, and of course that uh, enabled him to take some places towards the end. Just needed, as I said, a couple of more laps, and he could have taken on Albon, and I think he could have taken on Ocon as well. But uh, that's the way it is. Uh, went from 10th to 7th. Gasly, my star of the race, goes to him. Um, will he move to the senior Red Bull next, uh, next year? If uh, I, mean, I, I don't think it's worthwhile them changing them back over now, but then again, you just wouldn't know what goes on with uh, Helmut Marco. But his overtake at Eau Rouge on Perez, wow. Um, he went from eighth to fourth under the safety car. And uh, then obviously once he... Uh, and he was one of the ones, it was him and Perez who didn't pit under the safety car. And, and it was a good reason that, um, uh, that uh, the Gasly didn't, because... He was on hard compound tyres. It didn't make sense for him after 11 laps to go and put some new shoes on. So he had to do the uh, the long first stint. But as I say, that overtake on Perez um, into uh, Eau Rouge, fantastic. But uh, a good result for him. Ninth for Lance Stroll, again beating his teammate. We'll talk about that later. That's going to be our little um, our feature chat. And then Perez, 10th with the final points, squeezed Gasly at Eau Rouge. Ask Al- uh, Esteban Ocon how that feels. Checo's got to be careful. That, that's it's not as I say. That's not the first time it's happened. He's, um, I think, one time put himself or put Ocon out of the race uh, at uh, Belgium before, and of course, um, yeah, put the squeeze on Ocon another time as well. He didn't pit under the safety car. He was on softs, and I really don't get that. I've been trying to find out why, when every other car on softs, even mediums, came in and put on the set of hards, and he had a fresh set of hards. It wasn't like he. He had, uh, you know, didn't have a fresh set of hard compounds to go through to the flag. He did. But why did he not stop? Why didn't they pit him? That seemed crazy. Anyway, he ended up 10th um, uh, by the end of it. Uh, Kvyat ended up 11th. He out-qualified Gasly, but uh, didn't out-race him. Raikkonen was 12th. The lead Ferrari-powered-engined car was Raikkonen. Vettel finished 13th. Leclerc, 14th. Grosjean, another Ferrari-powered car. 15th, Latifi Magnussen. Uh, was down in 17th, and of course the DNFs were Giovinazzi and Russell, and a DNS, didn't even start, was Carlos Sainz. So uh, there we go, that was the Belgian Grand Prix. As I said, unusually, it was a, a bit of a a bit of a snorefest, really. It's um, unfortunate and doesn't happen very often. But either way, uh, constructors-wise, Mercedes still dominating, 264 points. They've got it in the bag, 158 points for Red Bull. They've only got half a team really scoring maximum points that they should. McLaren have moved up uh, back into third, five points ahead of racing point. They'll be very happy at Woking. Ferrari, 61 points in fifth, just uh, two points behind racing point now. Um, and expecting to go into free fall after Monza because Renault are in sixth and they're just two points adrift of Ferrari on 59. So it uh, looks like Ferrari could be down by sixth, uh, down to sixth rather by the time we get to Monday uh, next week. And then Alpha Tori seventh, Alpha Romeo, Haas, and of course, unfortunately, poor old Williams are uh, at the. Uh, the rear of the field. Hamilton, 157 points. He's got, what, uh, 40, 43 points on Max Verstappen, 50 points on his teammate, and daylight to everybody else. And uh, daylight is 
headed by Alexander Albon, who's in fourth on 48 points, and very close between fourth and seventh, which is Lance Stroll. So it's Albon, Leclerc, Norris, and Lance Stroll. Uh, there's, what, six points. Albon's on 48, Leclerc's on 45, Norris is on 45, Stroll's on 42, and then Daniel Ricciardo's on 33. So that midfield battle, uh, not only in uh, the Constructors' Championship, but also in the Drivers' Championship, is pretty tight. So there we go. A, uh, a quick wrap of what happened at the Belgian Grand Prix. So this week's featured chat is going to be about Sergio Perez and the Racing Point seat, or Aston Martin seat, as it will soon be in 2021. We have three drivers. Uh, of course, this story broke uh, a few weeks ago now when uh, it was sort of thought, uh, you know, Sebastian Vettel may be, on the, uh, may be on the way in to Racing Point, considering that they will now be Aston Martin, or they will soon be Aston Martin, um, you've got a four-time world champion who doesn't have a drive. The three teams that he could go to that don't have um, uh, any t- drivers tied up or who have availability, I suppose, are Williams, Haas and Alfa Romeo. And you look at those and think, I don't really think that uh, a four-time world champion is going to, to go to any of those three teams at the moment. No disrespect to them. Love Williams, Haas and Alfa Romeo. But uh, I just can't see... Sebastian Vettel thinking I'm going to take that step at the moment. So everybody did think, right, well, Aston Martin most likely, that's uh, a potential for him because you have the pull of a a four-time world champion to market your brand new Formula One team. That's a a big plus, a big tick uh, besides Sebastian Vettel. Of course, he's won four world championships, he's hugely experienced, having a bit of a, a, a bad run at the moment, and not just because of the car, he has been sort of largely outperformed by Charles Leclerc, certainly last year, a bit of this year, although having said that last round in uh, Spa, he finished ahead of Leclerc, although it was um, only 13th versus 14th. But, uh, you know, he, he we know he's got what it takes to, um, to you know, to to lead a team and, um, you know, to put in, in, in good performances, particularly in in both qualifying and the race. But, of course, will he go there? Um, because they have already two drivers. Lance Stroll, of course, his father, Lawrence, owns the team. And you've then got Sergio Perez. And Checo Perez has been with the team. In fact, he's almost the saviour of the team, really. He is the saviour of the team a couple of years ago when it was Force India. Of course, he sort of started uh, in motion um, the gears that have brought around Racing Point as it is now. If it hadn't been for what Checo Perez did to save the team, it would have gone a lot more pear-shaped, and they may not even be on the grid. He's been with them uh, for five, six years, at least, if not more. I'm pretty sure it's more, in fact. I'm just trying to think on my feet. He started, obviously, in 2011 with Sauber. He brings good sponsorship. He's a good driver. Um, Fast, aggressive, you know, he can uh, qualify well. He hasn't been in the right place at the right time. I feel for Perez because he's now in a car that is very competitive. It's easily inside the points, although they're not particularly quick in a straight, a straight line, as we saw in Spa, and that may also carry over this weekend. We'll look at the Italian Grand Prix shortly, but we know that Perez can do the de- can, uh, you know, can, can do the job. And when a few weeks ago, when this story broke, and we were talking and, and thinking, Sebastian Vettel, he's a shoo-in 
to one of those seats, and most likely it will be Lance Stroll who uh, goes elsewhere. And, and, and for mine, that's what I was thinking. Okay, yes, his father does own the team, and that's, a, <laughs> that's um, an important thing to remember. But it was more the performances that I was thinking of um, that would see Checo hold onto his seat and somehow Stroll would be sort of moved on elsewhere or something would happen, whether he goes to Williams or Spa, uh, uh, Haas or wherever. But the thing is, the last two races... Since Checo got back, and okay, he had two races off. They had to parachute Nico Hulkenberg in when Checo had got a positive uh, COVID test for when he went back to uh, Mexico to see his family. Um, and uh, that was understandable as to why he had to do that. Uh, but the last two races, Lance Stroll, and he is a, he's been on the podium with Williams at Baku. I, I, I think he's done a, he's really picked it up. He's outperformed Checo in qualifying. And in the race last weekend, and I, I didn't, wasn't expecting that, and I now think, well, gee, actually, it's, it's a lot harder decision in my mind, anyway. Uh, whereas prior to that, I was thinking, no, you'd keep Perez. He's proven performer, lots of experience, knows how to set a car up, brings in sponsorship as well, um, and he's been with the team. And again, he's the, practically the savior of the team after what happened a couple of years ago with, uh, with uh, Force India, as it was. But now, I can really see them holding on to both Perez and Lance Stroll. Don't know how Sebastian Vettel is going to fit into it. You know, I completely get that Aston Martin would prefer, I would imagine, to have a four-time world champion marketing their product. Yep, get it. Completely. Um, but... What do you do in that situation? Stroll is performing, as long as he continues to do so, and Checo Perez as well. So I just don't quite know. The thing is, that I found, what I found interesting about the statement that, or the, the comment that Checo Perez made last week was that he said, I'm not talking to any other teams at the moment. Now, I sort of thought, yeah, well, yeah. That's no great surprise to me. The only teams that have got availability are the bottom three. No disrespect to them. So, yeah, I mean, you don't want to be saying, yeah, yeah I'm talking to teams because everybody would say, oh, so that means you're, you know. So I, 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 I don't quite understand why he would have put that out as a, uh, as a statement, why he said it. Maybe it was a mistake, but it's certainly not uh, something that I would have done because it just pointed to the bleeding obvious. But either way, I, I think he needs to make sure he puts in uh, a good effort, a good performance for the remainder of the season, because, uh, okay, he does bring... The thing is that when, when, if, if it got to the point where uh, Vettel was coming to Racing Point, and I can see it being a better fit for someone like Perez going to Haas, the American-Mexican connection, the sponsors that he can bring. I can see that working. I mean, I can see it working with Williams as well and Alpha. You know, they or both of those, all those teams would, would benefit and would love to have a driver of um, Checo Perez's calibre and particularly with the sponsorship money that he brings. But the, the fit is better at Haas because of that American-Mexican connection. But does Checo particularly want to go there? 
not when they've got an underperforming Ferrari engine in the back, when they finished last and third last in the last round at Spa. So it's a, it's a tricky one. It, it, for a long time, I thought it was a lay-down Mazer that even though his dad owns the team, that Stroll would be on the way out because you've got a four-time world champion and you've got a proven performer qualifying and race-wise with Checo Perez. But that has all changed. We'll have to wait and see. So let's turn our attention to this weekend, the Italian Grand Prix. Of course, last year, it was a win to Leclerc in the Ferrari from Bottas and Hamilton. Interesting that last year, it was Merck who um, used that uh, that strategy that they so effectively use on anybody who's challenging the lead Mercedes, which more often than not is Lewis Hamilton. Uh, they used that. They tried to undercut uh, Leclerc, who'd started on the soft. They all had, actually, I think, pretty much the top six. At Le- oh, well, in fact, the whole top ten had started on the soft. Um, but uh, Leclerc went across after 20 laps. Uh, and and it, it did work in, in, in that it, it did get him to come in early. Um, he uh, came in on lap 20, which was a lap after Lewis Hamilton. And I think they were hoping that at, in second, Valtteri Bottas uh, would have been able to run that a little bit longer, which is what you want to do. But the uh, the times that um, uh, Leclerc was able to get out of those uh, those hard compound tyres, and remember that when Hamilton came back out, he was on the faster yellow medium tyres, yet he wasn't able to, uh, to, to finish ahead of Leclerc by the time we got to the chequered flag, and Bottas ended up second as well. So um, interesting that they uh, they did that, but it certainly won't be the case this year, for sure, uh, that uh, Leclerc will be battling away with the Mercedes or Sebastian Vettel, who also didn't have a fantastic home Grand Prix last year. He tangled with uh, Lance Stroll, remember, and flicked him around. He got, uh, I think, three penalty points for that as well and a 10-second stop go, I think, something like that. But anyway, he certainly got the penalty points, um, and uh, he didn't have a great weekend. But, yeah, they're not going to have a, a fantastic weekend this year. Uh, this weekend, uh, either by the looks of it. But um, anyway, the other interesting thing about this weekend is that the party modes have been banned. If you're not aware, uh, Mercedes have always talked about this uh, little party mode or engine mode that they've got that gives them a little bit more during qualifying. Uh, That has now been banned. Lewis Hamilton saying he doesn't think it's going to make too much of a difference. Funny that Mattia Bonotto has said he thinks it could actually uh, shake things up a little bit. That, uh, that could make a difference to qualifying. Don't forget, because it is Monza, you always need a tow. And, and Well, not always, but a lot of teams and a lot of drivers like to get a tow from their teammate in qualifying. So you run sort of nose to tail, not quite that close as, or as close as it sounds, but um, you run nose to tail uh, going along the main straight at Monza just to give you, your teammate a little bit of a slipstream. And uh, there'll be plenty of that this weekend. In fact, uh, yeah, Ferrari will be... Be definitely doing that. They'll be getting. Uh, uh, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they'll they'll need a lot of hand. They'll need a lot of help getting that slipstream because I don't know. One car, maybe they need two Ferraris out there to give uh, the third one a slipstream, because it is going to be a desperate weekend. I feel for them, and that's um, not a great thing as well. You know, F one a healthy F one needs a healthy Ferrari, but uh, they have got some problems there at the moment. Whatever it is, whatever it was. That was the difference between last year's engine and this engine. This year's engine, they don't have it, and it's making a big impact, particularly on these high-speed, low-downforce circuits. It's just accentuating that problem. 
But anyway, uh, looking at uh, a little bit further down, I think you're going to see Daniel Ricciardo had a great race weekend last weekend in Spa. They had a good result here last year as well, did Breno. So they're pretty good in... Um, in that uh, low downforce spec, so high speed. This is the highest speed circuit on the F1 calendar, if you didn't already know. So they are looking very good. And I, as I was saying, uh, I think I was saying this earlier, but um, that a few more laps uh, at the Spa last weekend, Daniel Ricciardo would have been into Max Verstappen. It was only two and a half seconds off the pace. He managed his tyres really well. And I'd love to see that, that battle between those old teammates. They, you know, they, they don't have any beef. But it'd be a great battle to see. But as I said, the only problem with that is that you then distract Max Verstappen away from um, taking on the Mercedes. That's the only issue with that. But then again, uh, you know, no one's going to, I don't think, uh, really seriously challenge the Mercedes once again at this circuit. We've only had, what, one other race winner, which is Max Verstappen. Um, and, and sorry, I mean, I know Bottas has won a race as well, but I meant sort of non-Mercedes uh, race winner so far this year. Uh, but I think we're going to need some of these more higher downforce circuits to to really give anybody else an opportunity, such as uh, Verstappen, uh, an opportunity to to get another race win and take one away from Mercedes. But anyway, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, in that midfield battle, I think you're going to see McLaren and, and Racing Point once again. It's really close in that uh, constructors' championship and that midfield. The gap between uh, Renault and McLaren, who are now currently in third, just ahead by a few points of racing point. And, of course, you've then got Ferrari, then Renault. But I think Renault will end up uh, jumping up into at least fifth as long as they uh, get to the chequered flag without any incident. As I say, they've got a pretty good car in that uh, high-speed, low-spec. I'm sorry, um, high-speed, low-downforce spec is what I meant to say. I'm sorry, um, high-speed low downforce spec left out the downforce bit uh car yeah so that uh, it's still going to be an interesting race it's just at the front unfortunately that's not going to be where the action is unless we see uh something dramatic but um it's always a a great race to watch monza is just so special of course I'd also wanted to mention some of the other Grand Prix that we've got coming up. Of course, it's a, another triple header. We're halfway into that now. We've got Mugello, which is a circuit that no one's ever actually raced at before. There's no historical data on that, tyre-wise particularly. Um, so that's going to be really interesting uh, when we go there. Turkey was announced. Turn 8, the uh, quadruple apex that is Turkey. That is going to be immense. So it's great to have that back on. I think I saw somewhere um, that the uh, Turkish promoters were saying they're going to hope to get something like 100,000 fans there. Wow. Uh, that'll be interesting to see whether that can happen. Of course, Portimao has come back on. Nürburgring is back on. Um, Imola as well. That is fantastic to see. Great to have Imola back on the calendar as well for this year. It's going to be a two-day event, though. So rather than having practice on the Friday, we normally have two 90-minute practice sessions on the Friday. We're just going to have the one 90-minute practice session on the Saturday morning, then qualifying in the afternoon, and of course the race as per normal on Sunday. So that's going to be rather interesting. F1 sort of trying out maybe a, a new weekend or race weekend model. Um, and then also uh, recently announced was the triple header at the end of the season, finishing off with Abu Dhabi. I think it's on the 12th or 13th of December. Um, and prior to that, two races in Bahrain under lights. Of course, Abu Dhabi's under lights as well. Uh, one of those races in uh, Bahrain will be on the normal Sakia circuit. But the second one is going to be on what I call a Monza spec circuit. It's like the outer ring that they've got there. And that's going to have nine corners on it. 
55-second lap. That is going to be rapid. So plenty to look forward to, really, for the rest of this season. Anyway, I hope uh, you have enjoyed the Pitbox podcast once again. If you uh, would like to uh, get in touch and uh, give me some uh, feedback and uh, any questions or anything like that, you can do so by email. It is pitboxpodcast at gmail.com. Also on the Twitter handle, which is uh, the Pitbox Podcast. Uh, look up that. Give us a follow. And, uh, of course, uh, Always happy to hear from you. And as I said, in in future episodes, hoping to be able to get a few people on and have a bit of a chat, whether they are uh, people who are involved with F1 or or just fans, uh, just to have a bit of a chat. It'd be great to sort of got to get myself bedded in and settled in here. But I hope you've enjoyed it. Look forward to your company next time that we do it, which will be next week. We'll review this weekend's race and, of course, take a look ahead to Mugello. I don't know what I'm going to talk about with Mugello because I've got no, no, no data on it. Uh, We'll work out something. Uh, But anyway, have a great weekend. Enjoy the racing.